Well, I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles once again to John chapter 2. We're going to continue uh, in looking at following the footsteps of Jesus by asking ourselves the question, if we're going to uh, be the ones who ask that question, what would Jesus do? Then we're going to have to know what he did. Amen. And then after we know what he did, then we're going to have to be obedient to say, okay, uh, this is what I'm going to do as well. I'm going to follow the footsteps of Jesus and be uh, the man or woman of God that God so desires for me to meet. So last week, as we began looking at John chapter 2, we started off uh, looking at how Jesus cleansed the temple, right? As he went in there and he he went in there for that Passover, uh, just before the Passover, and he saw the money changers in there. He saw the individuals in there uh, making a profit off of selling the animals, the very animals that were going to be used as sacrifices as a part of their uh, worship uh, that they had there in the temple. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus through a righteous fit. Amen. He made himself a scourge. After he made himself a scourge, he went in there and he drove out those many changers. He went in there and he set all of those animals free. And so they had animals, you know, just imagine the scene just running all over the place. The uh, money changers' tables had been flipped over. They're probably on their hands and knees trying to scoop up their money and trying to collect all of that. There's people that are watching all of this, wondering what in the world is going on, what in the world is taking place because this would have been, uh, you know, as you enter into the temple, this would have been the very first thing uh, that you would have come to, really not in the temple itself, but within uh, the court. And so that would have been right there in the center of all things, right? You think about the food court of a mall or something like that. It would have been, uh, you know, the, the most centralized location of when you first go in to that particular area. So no doubt about it, this would have caused a great scene. Nobody's ever done anything like this before. Right, And so now they're wondering, who in the world is this? Who in the world is this guy that has come in here and caused such a scene and caused such a commotion? And so now as we begin to look here in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, or John chapter 2, I'm sorry, beginning in verse 18, uh, we find here in the Word of God, it says that the Jews then said to him, what sign do you show as your authority for doing these things? What, what sign do you give to us? What sign is there that you're going to give to us that, that you have authority to do these things, right? Now, as we begin to look at this, we, we recognize that the, uh, the Word of God itself teaches us as well as uh, extra-biblical uh, history teaches us that there were guards within the temple and these guards that were in the temple, they would you know, make sure everything is going according to plan. They were the temple uh, guards and so we see in John chapter 7 and verse 32 uh, we find there uh, as well as many other places within the gospel and the book of Acts as well we see these temple guards working the Bible says the Pharisees heard the crowds muttering these things about him and the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him so there within that text we find that the Pharisees and the chief priests, they would uh, use these temple guards to go and they, they, they would try to keep uh, the commotion down. They would try to keep everything flowing in proper order and make sure everything uh, was operating correctly, right? They'd do the same thing as security guards would do today or police forces would do today. They'd just make sure everything is working in proper, uh, proper order. And so now, uh, you know, they'd never seen anything like this before. How do you respond to something like this? 
this. Here comes this man. He flips over the tables of the money changers. He drives out the animals. And so now they're coming up to him. And the very first question is, who in the world gave you the authority to do any of this, right? Who, who gave you the authority? Now, maybe possibly they thought he was a prophet, right? Possibly they thought he was somebody like John the Baptist, right? As John the Baptist was out there uh, in the Jordan baptizing, everybody knew about John the Baptist by this time, and so possibly he could have been a prophet, but they wanted to know exactly who he was, but more importantly, by what authority is he doing this? You know, it, it, it would be kind of a madman, if you think about this, to just go and do something all, all on your own own and, and especially realizing that there's going to be consequences he could have been arrested that day he could have been uh, brought before the Sanhedrin uh, that day we find in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 3 uh, we find there Peter and John and what's Peter and John doing they're going into the temple at the hour of prayer they're seeing that lame man, a beggar that's laying before the gate uh, what do they say to him silver and gold have we none but what we do have in the name of Jesus rise and walk and so they healed the man Man, or Jesus healed the man and so he got up and he rose up walked and he was leaping and jumping everybody started looking at him saying hey isn't that the guy that you know used to be lame he was you know he'd been that way since his mother's womb is what the word of God tells us and so they knew that a great miracle had just taken place and so a great crowd gathered around them as a great crowd gathered around them uh, they began preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ so there comes the temple guards and as the temple guards are seeing what in the world is going on here apparently they'd already been uh, been warned you know there's some some of these crazy Christians out there they might try to cause a scene they might try to cause a ruckus they might try to talk about that Jesus character that we thought we already done away with but apparently we didn't so you might want to watch out for those guys and so now here they are right there in the middle of the uh, of the temple court and all, everybody's gathered around them listening to what they have to say so what do they do? They arrest Peter and John. They take them to the jail. They beat them. They put them before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin tell them, which is the court, the Jewish court of the day, they tell them, you better not tell anybody about Jesus anymore. Right? And so what do they do? Peter basically says, well, we can't help ourselves. All right, so deal with it. <laughs> he didn't say it exactly like that, but that's basically uh, that what, what he was saying right there. Another amazing thing, they left that day rejoicing because they have been found worthy to suffer for the Lord. Amen. They've been found worthy to suffer for the Lord. So they were rejoicing over that. So as these same temple guards... Uh, you know, you begin to think about that. It's just three years uh, before that event that took place with Peter and John. Here it is, the same temple guard. I don't know if it's the exact same people, but the same one who, who, who would be working as the temple guard are now confronting Jesus. Who gives you the authority to do this? Right? By what authority are you doing this? And so they answered directly to the Sanhedrin, it was the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which made up the Sanhedrin. And so it was that same Jewish court, it was that same Jewish court order that ended up bringing about the arrest and the betrayal and the false trial of Jesus himself that ultimately led to his crucifixion. 
So here it is, they're asking Jesus about this in John chapter 2, and verse 18. And so as they ask this, the first question they ask is, uh, what sign do you uh, show us your authority for doing these things, right? Obviously, unless you're a madman, you, you, you better be saying that you're from God because you're in the temple and you're causing this great disruption. And so as you're in the temple, you better be saying that you're from God. But the ultimate way that we want to know that you're from God, you better show us a sign, right? We need to see a sign from you. We need to know and see with our physical eyes and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you really are from God, not just that you're saying that you're from God, not just that others are saying that they're from God, but we want to see a sign. We want you to prove yourself, right? And so as we look at this, let's show us a sign that they was that Jesus was asked many, many times throughout the Scriptures to show them a sign. Many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees themselves and here the temple guards are asking Jesus, show us a sign. In fact, we see in John chapter 6 and in verse 30, we see this and it says, and so uh, they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you that were, uh, the works in which you perform? So as they were coming to Jesus, they wanted to see this sign. They wanted to see what it was that Jesus was doing. But the fact is, the Word of God tells us that Jesus was doing signs. Amen? He was doing signs. In fact, that's a word. John doesn't really use the word miracle. He uses the word signs. And so we go back to the wedding at Cana that we looked at a few weeks ago. And in the wedding of Cana, he turned the water into wine. And the Bible tells us there in uh, John chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, this beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. So he was doing signs, right? He did do uh, these signs. We look down in John chapter 2 and verse 23, and it says there, it says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs in which he was doing. So he was doing these signs. He was doing these miracles. In fact, when we look through the scriptures, he was performing many, many miracles. And so we read the end of the book of John, and John tells us that all of the books of all the world can't contain everything that Jesus did. So there's no telling what all that Jesus was doing. But here it was, they were demanding, we must see a sign, and we're not going to believe you are who you are until we see this sign. You know God doesn't work that way? Amen? In fact, we know very clearly how God works, and how does God work? God works by faith. Amen? God is moved by faith. And, you know, God's not our butler. He's not at our beck and call. We, we don't command, hey, you, God, you, you better give us a sign. We need a sign here. Otherwise, we're not going to believe in you. And, you know, we have a whole world today full of sign seekers. They're always looking for some kind of sign. They, they, they've got to see a sign. Otherwise, they don't believe that God is moving. And, you know, when you look at Elijah, when Elijah was there listening for God, what happened was Elijah was listening for God, it, it, God God came and he spoke, but what was that voice? It was a still, small voice. Amen? 
And God's always moving. There's never a time that God is not moving. The Bible, in fact, tells us that God never sleeps nor slumbers. Amen. God is always moving. God is always at work. God is always active. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is always moving in one way or the other. But that does not mean that He always has to reveal it to us. Amen. Sometimes the greatest things that we see from God are the things in hindsight. Amen? But here it was that they came demanding to see a sign from Jesus. Now the amazing thing is, in this text of Scripture, as we look at it, the, the, uh, the uh, temple guards knew what was going on. They knew that the money changers were ripping the people off. They knew that the people that were selling the animals for a greatly inflated price were ripping people off. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what was taking place in the courtyard of the temple was wrong. It was absolutely wrong. It was in fact blasphemous unto God for something like that to be taking place. But they let it continue. But now here comes somebody and he's going to call it out for what it is, as, as, as sinfulness and, and, and wickedness. You know, Jesus, uh, we, we find the words of Jesus in uh, Matthew, and in, in Matthew what we find is that Jesus said that, that, that my Father's house shall be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves, <laughs> right? You've turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus says Father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. And they knew that. They understood that. You know, it's interesting that when we get confronted with our sin, sometimes when we get confronted with our sin, we're called out for our sin. It doesn't matter if it's an individual calling you out from your, uh, for your sin or maybe a preacher's up there preaching and you know, maybe he, he gets a little bit close to that particular sin in which you're living in and you think he's talking directly to you, but it's not him that's talking directly to you. That's the Holy Spirit working on you. Amen. And, and folks might get mad. In fact, I, I remember I was preaching a service and I don't even remember what I was preaching on, but there was a guy that was sitting right in the middle of, of the service and boy, he stood up and he said, you're a liar. And he walked out. Boy, he was fiery hot. Amen. I've had folks that as I'm witnessing to them, sharing the gospel with them one-on-one, and I, I thought they were on the verge, and I wasn't being ugly to them, wasn't being rude to them, wasn't being out of the way, but I thought I was fixing to get hit, <laughs> amen, because they'd get fiery hot, they'd get mad, they'd get upset, you know, don't, don't tell me that I'm a sinner, don't tell me that my ways are wicked, don't tell me that my ways are not right with God, because, you know, I don't want to repent from the things which I'm doing, but at the same time, uh, I, I don't want you to try to exert the Word of God on me to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. Amen? And sometimes the people will look at us and say, well, what gives you the right or who gives you the authority? God does. Amen? God does. That's not our business to go around trying to nitpick on people's sins and you know, calling people out uh, on their particular sins. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But friend, if the word of God pierces your heart, it, your only response is to repent of that, not to get angry about it. Say, what gives you the right? Who, who are you to say that I am a sinner? Well, he's God. 
Amen? He is the creator and sustainer of all of the earth. The Bible says not only did he create all things, not only did Jesus create all things, all things were created by him, according to the book of Colossians, and all things were created for him. So not only were they created by him, but they were created to give glory and honor to him. So he is Lord, and he has absolute authority over all things. What did Jesus say after his resurrection? He said, all power and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Guess what? Jesus is not just going to be Lord one day. He's Lord today. Now, some people don't recognize that. Some people don't accept that. Right? Who are you? He's Lord. <laughs> Amen? The earth belongs to him and all therein. You, you think that property you're living on is yours? You hold the title indeed, but it's actually His. Amen? Everything belongs to God. He is Lord. And so now they're questioning Him over this of, you know, who, who, who do you have? How do you have this authority to do the things in which you're doing? You need to prove yourself as who you are and give us a sign. Now, the fact is, He's already done signs and He's going, he's going to do even more signs. But regardless of all of the signs that, they're going, that, that he does, they still refuse to believe in who Jesus is. You know, when we look back there in verse 11, that uh, we, we saw of this being the first of the signs that Jesus performed, it says there, but his disciples believed him. His disciples believed him. Amen? And so when we look in... Verse 17, and we find there in verse 17, after Jesus uh, drove out the money changers, after Jesus uh, drove out the animals, and, and uh, the Bible says right there, verse 17, it says, the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. What did they do? They looked at the word of God and they remembered, hey, the word of God said this. And now Jesus is saying, okay, you want a sign? I'm going to give you a sign. Oh, I'm going to give it to you. You're still not going to accept it. You're still going to reject it. But I'm going to give you a sign. And Jesus answered them, verse 19, Jesus answered them and said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now see, they were earthly minded and they were thinking of earthly minded things and of course they were in the temple. Jesus said many, many things that the people of his day didn't understand, even his disciples didn't understand, right? It was actually a common theme in the Gospels that as Jesus spoke things, sometimes the disciples would have to come to Jesus a little bit later on and say, now, now tell us what that meant. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't quite get what you had, in fact, when, you know, Jesus said, you know, uh, that, that, that he is the bread of life. Anybody that eats my flesh is going to live. His disciples even came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, that's, that's a hard saying, right? They didn't get what he was saying. They didn't understand what he was saying. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to tear down this temple, but in three days I'm going to raise it up again. And so in verse 20, clearly they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. It says the Jews then said, it took 40 year, uh, 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? Clearly they didn't comprehend what Jesus was talking about. And we wouldn't have either, right? Apart from the complete understanding of 
the Word of God and the, and, and the completion and the fulfillment of the Word of God. You know, even uh, Nicodemus in chapter 3, when Nicodemus came up to Jesus and started asking him some questions, and Jesus said, lest you be born again, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus Totally didn't get what Jesus was talking about. How can your older age enter back into your mother's womb and be, be born again? And so Jesus further explained that to him. And then Jesus even kind of rebuked, rebuked Nicodemus. He said, you being a teacher of Israel can't understand these spiritual things. What's wrong, Nicodemus? What's wrong with you? Right? And so when we begin to recognize this, guess what? We need the fullness of the Word of God to understand things. Because you know, you could take one text of Scripture, you could take one verse, and boy, you can make that say all kinds of things, can't you? You could twist it, you could turn it, you could mold it and shape it into however it is that you want to, to, to take that verse. But when you take that one verse of Scripture and you compare it to the rest of Scripture and you say, well, that cannot mean what I thought it meant because it contradicts the rest of Scripture. But in light of the rest of Scripture, then now I understand it. Now I get it. Now I comprehend what the Word of God is talking about and so as he was saying this uh, in the temple it says in verse 21 it says and when he was speaking of the te- uh, they thought he was speaking of the te- uh, he or he was speaking of the temple of his body so when he was raised from the dead his disciples remembered that he said this and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken so even the disciples didn't get it until after his resurrection, they, they'd probably look at each other. Hey, Peter, Jesus just said he's going to tear down the temple. <laughs> what, what's that all about, right? And so after his resurrection, they understood it. Because now they had an even clearer picture of the teachings of Jesus. That's why we can't cut and paste God's Word. Amen? That's why it's so dangerous to cut and paste God's Word. That's why it's so dangerous to just know small portions of God's Word. We need to know the entirety of God's Word. Otherwise, we're going to be in danger of being like uh, these Jewish uh, temple guards of saying, Jesus, show us a sign. Show us your authority, but when we know the Word of God, we know who Jesus is, and we know that He doesn't need to show us a single thing. He is authority. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is Almighty God. He is God who became flesh. And there is no higher authority, and He doesn't have to prove Himself to anyone. Amen? But because they were so busy looking for signs, they missed the Messiah. Amen? Now, when we look out in the world today, friends, I have no doubt we're living in the last days. I have no doubt. There's things that are going on in the world today that are absolutely lining up with what the Word of God says that the last days are going to look like. And so as I look out in the world, what do I need to look at the world in, uh, through the lens of? I need to look at the world through the lens of the Word of God. Amen? And when you look at the world through the lens of the Word of God, you get a clearer 
understanding a clearer picture. Why is the world so messed up today? Because Jesus is fixing to come back, and Jesus himself said, things are going to be messed up before he comes back. He didn't say it exactly like that, but that's what he taught. That's what the Old Testament prophets taught. That's what the fullness of the Word of God teaches. Amen? And the better understanding that we have of the Word of God, the better understanding we have of Jesus, the better understanding we have of ourselves, the better understanding of, that we have of the world in which we live in, the better understanding that we have of all things through the study of God's Word. Amen? So again, here it is as they come to Jesus, they're asking Jesus, Jesus, show us the sign. Give us a sign. Who gives you the authority to do these things? Show us a sign. Well, he did show them a sign. And they still didn't believe in the signs that he showed. Even then, they still tried to accuse him of not being of God. To what in the world does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? The Bible says Jesus said there's only one unforgivable sin, and that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so when you look at that, uh, you know, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Well, when you look at that text of Scripture in its context, what's going on right there? Jesus cast a demon out. Here comes the Pharisee. Everybody was starting to pay attention to Jesus. Here comes the Pharisees. They say, oh, oh, pay attention to him. He casts out demons by the power of Beelzebub. What does that mean? It means he cast out demons by the devil himself, right? Is what he's saying. And then Jesus turns around and says, that's the goofiest thing I've ever heard. Again, he didn't say it like that, but that's in essence what he said. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand, right? That doesn't make a bit of sense. And that's when Jesus, in the context of all of that, said, that there's only one unpardonable sin, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And what is that? Knowing that what Jesus was doing was from God, but not wanting to accept what Jesus was doing was from God. And why? Because they didn't want to change their ways. Jesus had called them out for their wicked ways. They thought they were righteous. They thought they was all right. They thought they were fulfilling the law. But Jesus, time and time and time again, called them out for their sins, told them that they were whitewashed tombs, told them that they brewed of vipers, told them that they were sons of hell that goes out and, and make disciples that are twice as much a son of hell as they are. And instead of saying, Jesus, you are absolutely right. We are absolutely wrong. Therefore, we repent of what we are doing because you're right, we're wrong. Instead, no, they got angry at Jesus and arranged for the murder of Jesus, tried to badmouth Jesus, tried to turn people against Jesus. And so when you begin to think about this, we need to make sure that we understand Jesus truly is Lord, not by signs that He's doing, not by tingly feelings that we have inside, not by getting goosebumps or, you know, good vibes or whatever it is, but because we know that the Word of God is true. Amen? 
Doesn't mean that we may not see a miracle within our life. Doesn't mean that we might get a tingly feeling or a goose bump or get that excited moment. We probably will. But even if we don't, we know that the Word of God is true. Therefore, our faith is going to be in Jesus Christ regardless. Amen? Regardless of what I see, regardless of what I feel, regardless of whether or not I see Him move, I know who He is, therefore my faith and my trust is in Him and Him alone. So as we look at this, it says about there in verse 23, John chapter 2, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing the signs in which he was doing. I mean, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Many people were believing in Jesus, but why were they believing in Jesus? Because of the signs, because of what they saw. Right? Then we read the very next verse. It says, But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them because he knew the heart of all men and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in a man. He knew their heart. The whole Jesus is doing these signs were going to follow him. Everything's going good. He's doing all these miracles. The, the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, even the dead are raising up from the grave. The leopards are being cleansed. I mean, you look at all of these phenomenal things. Oh, we're going to believe on him. But then all of a sudden, you know, when, when the, uh, Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem the last week of his life, what takes place? Boy, the crowds gather up. They're cutting down the palm branches. They're putting them in front of the feet of Jesus. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord oh we're, we're going to bow down we're going to worship him we're even going to lay our cloaks down at his feet the Pharisees come up to the disciples hey you're causing a big scene right here you need to quiet him down you need to quiet Jesus down and so what does Jesus say about that they don't praise me the rocks are going to cry out amen let's never be guilty of allowing the rocks to cry out because we are called to praise him amen and so there they are big crowds coming on they're, 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 they're inaugurating their king right blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna to the king is what they're saying and so as Jesus comes in the last week of his life this is how the week begins how does the week end with those exact same crowds saying crucify him crucify him crucify him Oh, how quickly they turned. Amen? How quickly they turned. How quickly their hearts changed. Jesus knew the heart of man. Jesus knew that if you're just looking at things by sight, When sight changes and things aren't looking so good anymore. Oh, how easily you'll walk away. How quickly you'll walk away. Disciples continued. Did they do it perfectly? No. They didn't understand everything. They didn't get it all. 
the disciples, they kept trusting in Jesus. They kept believing on Jesus. In fact, we find them in the Word of God after the death of Jesus, after the burial of Jesus. Where were they? They were still gathered. They didn't scatter. They were still gathered in that upper room on the day of Pentecost. They didn't didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They were heartbroken over the death of Jesus. And they, they, they were confused, no doubt. They had not yet seen the fullness of the plan that God had in store. Everybody else turned on them. See, they had faith. From right here. Well, they saw the same things everybody else saw. <laughs> they, were, they were excited over those things too. Amen. Worthy of getting excited over. And as a genuine believer from right here, seeing those things isn't going to cause your faith. Seeing those things should increase your faith. Amen? Strengthen your faith. The words faith come, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Regardless if we ever see a thing, regardless if we ever feel a thing, I believe. I believe. Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 and 40, or 38 through 40, says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And they asked him a bunch of times, Show us a sign. They've been seeing signs. (laughs) Amen. But they still didn't believe. Verse 39, But Jesus answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for signs. And yet no sign will be given to him but the sign of Jonah, the prophet. That's an evil and perverse generation that Jesus says that seeks signs. Well, we as Christians see signs. It's not guaranteed, but yeah. We see signs. You know every time a lost person saved, that's the greatest miracle you ever see in your life? Amen? Does God still do miracles of healing today? You better believe He does. Does God still perform signs and wonders? You better believe He does. But friend, if what you're seeking is confirmation through sight you're never going to find what you're looking for but when you come to that point as Paul came to that point within his life and said I know whom I believe and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted into him until that day 
Paul saw some phenomenal things, did he not? He also experienced some very low points in his walk and in his life. When those times when you're not on the mountaintop, that faith comes into play all the more. That faith in the valley is much stronger than that faith in the mountaintop. Is it not? Because then you're not walking by sight. You're only walking by faith. And what does the Word of God say? That the righteous shall walk by faith and not by sight. That means we won't see things. That means we won't experience it. But even if we don't, I still believe. Amen? I still believe. Because it's confirmed through the truth of the Word of God. And the Bible says, let God be found true. And every man alive. Who are we to call out God? Do you have to show us a sign? He doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> Amen? He's God. We just have to believe we just have to have that faith. Today, maybe you're seeking God for something. Maybe you need a movement of God within your life. Maybe you need a hand of God within your life. And whatever it is that you're praying for, you say, I just haven't seen it yet. Hasn't happened yet. Has God failed you? No. Absolutely not. Maybe it'll come in the way in which you're not expecting. Maybe it'll come in the timing you're not expecting. Maybe his answer is no. Like it was with Paul when Paul was praying for the removal of the thorn of the flesh. But God still answered his prayer. His prayer was just that my grace would be sufficient for you. And no doubt it was. Amen? No doubt it was. Whatever you're praying for this morning, whatever you're seeking, don't give up on the Lord. He hears you. He loves you. And He's going to provide for you what's not what you think is best, but what He knows is best. Amen? So you just trust in Him this morning. Right now, as we have our song of invitation, God begins to stir in your heart. You know, the Bible talks about two or more agreeing. Maybe you need somebody to pray along with you on something. Turn to the person next to you and say, Hey, why don't you go ahead and stand right now? Hey, why don't you pray with me? Now, would you pray with me? I'm up here. I'd be more than happy to pray with you and help bring those petitions to the Lord. We strengthen one another through that. But today, above and beyond all things, you just believe that God is. Amen.
and that he loves you. And regardless of what you're seeing with your sight today, he's got you right where he wants you. Amen? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, friends, by all means, would you come to know him? Trust in Jesus as Savior. So, well, how do I do that? Come down here. I'll be glad to explain it to you, but it's very easy. Again, all you have to do is put your faith in him. That's it. If you come down here, I'll be more than happy to talk to you this morning as God stirs in your heart, as the music plays, as God's stirring in your heart, you come as God so leads.